Welcome, 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 geeks and nerds, girls and boys, to a brand new edition of Geek to Me Radio. Tonight, two fantastic actors. First, my interview with Paul Sun Young Lee talking about the Book of Mandal, uh, the Book of Boa Fett, Mandalorian, and more. After that, we'll be live with David Dasmalchin talking about his new film, The Boogeyman, out in theaters this weekend. All that and more. Stand by. Right now we're talking with award-winning actor, playwright, YouTube sensation, the guy does it all, Paul, Sun Young Lee, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Doing great. I appreciate your time this afternoon. Uh, it's just, uh, we fell in love with you, my wife and I, on Kim's Convenience. And then, of course, we, we both saw you pop up in Mandalorian. We're like, oh, oh, doing the Leonardo DiCaprio thing at the screen when you uh, <laughs> when you appeared. And that's, I'm sure that you get, you get that reaction a lot based on your new character, Captain Carson Teva. Yeah, no, there's a lot of people that uh, they do the double take. And in fact, that Leonardo DiCaprio meme is one of my favorites because, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the last person people expect to show up on in, in a Star Wars is the guy who played Appa. So that's great. And I know with your YouTube channel, I kind of went down a rabbit hole. I said, OK, I'm, I'm going to check out his YouTube channel. And the next thing you know, it's five hours later. My wife's like, you have to come eat dinner now. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Uh- but it's you the unboxings you do and all this stuff it's it's fun to see one but it's also heartening to know that you know you're a fellow geek and you're playing in the Star Wars sandbox that's got to make you so happy oh yeah absolutely and thank you so much for the kind words you know like the whole youtube thing started because of the pandemic and uh you know we we're, we're stuck at home and everybody's like oh what are we going to do and i remember getting the the star wars box set it was the skywalker saga a 4K deluxe box set, 27 discs, art books, posters, cards, and uh, it showed up in my young boxing video. And I thought, oh, I've seen you watch unboxing videos. Those look like fun. And so, like, I that's what started me down the rabbit hole. And I had so much fun doing it. I just, you know, wanted to learn how to do them better and, and do more of them and really sort of express my geekiness to the world. And, uh, you know, I, I have a lot of toys and a lot of collectibles that are still in boxing. So it seems like a match made in heaven. And I noticed the, the drinking game you make out of it, too, is so much fun. I almost <laughs> feel weird because I, I don't have a beverage in reach right now as I'm talking to you. And I feel like I'm going through withdrawal now. <laughs> well, those are, those, that's a fun little add-on because I just suddenly noticed, huh, I'm repeating a lot of the same phrases back and forth. So, it's yeah, it, it's kind of like the... the um, unboxing bingo as it were <laughs> but the drinking game is something that really sort of draws the community together and uh you know like i say on the on the on the live streams it doesn't have to be alcohol it can be coffee tea water blue milk juice whatever floats your boat and i i wonder what it, what is it that you drink what is your beverage of choice there 
<laughs> I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a whiskey guy, so I, I'm really into the Irish whiskeys late, lately. So that's my beverage of choice. But every once in a while, I will switch to a White Claw just to throw a curveball in. <laughs> and, uh, you know, some people are like, White Claws? What are you, a teenage girl? But no, I like <laughs> it because they're tasty and they're low in calories. So take that. <laughs> yeah, it's not the 90s. We can't do Zima anymore. So, you know, White Claw is right. the next best thing. <laughs> right. And with all the stuff, I, I got to go back to Kim's Convenience, first of all, because what an amazing show that was. That's uh, I, I'm actually I was in the middle of drafting a blog for my website and I was going to p- do a blog on the five or maybe 10, depending on how I flesh it out. Most charming shows currently streaming. Kim's Convenience is probably in the top one or two for me. It's just such oh, wow. a great show. You can sit down and watch it with anybody. It's uh, it tells a great story and it's it's got a lot of heart. And what it was fascinating to me, I didn't realize it started out as a play, and you were one of the original cast members of the play too. That's correct. Yeah, um, that's a little known fact. I mean. Uh, Ince Choi, who's a playwright and the, the co-creator of the television series, um, he started writing it back in 2005, uh, and it was just in a response of um, trying to find work for himself. He was very sort of frustrated with that, and so he tried to create his own work. And during the course of that, um, I, I, originally he wanted to play the part of Appa himself, but he was too young, and so he needed an older Korean actor to sort of fill in the role, and so... That's when I became involved. And it was really great because over the years, he'd do a number of workshops. I'd be involved. And then the first time he heard me speak some of the lines that he had written, he knew that was the voice that he wanted to use. And so we kind of tailored it to my voice. And uh, it, it was a great partnership as we went through over the years, developing the character, building it up. And then finally, we premiered it at the Toronto Fringe Festival in 2011. So six years of him working with it uh, on and off. And uh, it became a smash hit. And then we went and got picked up by a theater company and went on a national tour. Then it got optioned to a television series. And uh, yeah, it was just like so many pinch me moments along the way for the show to succeed. And the moments, some of my favorite moments on the show are the ones between you and Mr. Meta when he's in the, in the store just just talking with you. <laughs> some of the some of the best liners yeah. come from the two of you and your interactions. And, and I know he, if I'm not mistaken, because I didn't get to see the the play, unfortunately, he's not one of the original characters from the play. He was added on for the series. Am I correct? That is correct. This was originally up was supposed to have just one friend. He's, he's sort of frenemy, uh, Mr. Chin who is sort of uh, one of these guys that you, you hang out with, but he, he kind of, like, he grates your teeth sometimes just with the stuff that he does. Um, but they expanded it into uh, another character, and Mr. Mr. Meta was born. And uh, it was great because, you know, nothing's funnier than a couple of immigrant dads <laughs> complaining about their kids, right? So. My my friend Kevin, his favorite line is Mr. Meta kind of gets flustered, and he goes, my God, the weather, it's simply everywhere. And just, it, yeah, that was funny. <laughs> Were there many lines on the show? I, obviously, it's a scripted television, but did you ever, you and your fellow actors, were there any improv moments where it's like, hold on, we're going to keep that in? Yeah, there are little moments here and there. I mean, the writing was so strong on the show. It was great. It, it really was. They, they made our jobs a lot easier. But there were moments where you're just, you know, you're feeling the flow of the scene and suddenly like a word, like a line pops out just to button the scene and it was perfect. I mean, one example I can give is, um, during one of the earlier episodes, uh, the serial customer um, <laughs> would come and he was asking if we accepted uh, Apple Pay. And Appa, not understanding him, would hurt, you know, it's like, Appa Pay? Why would Appa Pay? Like, no, no, <laughs> Apple Pay. 
right? And so we did the scene, and then during the course of the scene, Appa gets in trouble, everybody leaves in a huff, and Appa sort of stops and goes, yeah, Appa pay. <laughs> so that wasn't scripted, but it just felt so right in that moment, right? So, yeah, they, they it, and it was great to have the trust of the, of the showrunners and the writers and the directors to, to have that freedom to do that. And, um, yeah, it was a great experience. You and Gene, I believe, were the only two cast members from the original play that made it to the TV series. Did they make the two of you audition, or was it kind of one of those things where uh, Instroy felt like, no, no, I have to have these two at least for the, the center of the show? How did that come about? Yeah, I, I never had to audition for the for the part of, uh, of Appa. It's a very difficult role to cast because you really have to find somebody uh, who can... Uh, a do the comedy and the drama at the same time, and it's very difficult, just because there aren't very many older Asian actors mm-hmm. who have enough craft and experience and who are available to do it. And because I had originated the part, it just made it so much easier because uh, I had made my mark on the national tour of doing the show countless times. Uh, that that was that was the the the, the actor that they had like I, I was the only choice basically. Um, I know for Jean, they did actually make her audition for for the role, much to her chagrin. Uh, but uh, you know, in the end, they they ended up going going with her because she's such a fantastic actor. So. And all the work that Andrea did as Janet, just uh, such emotional scenes that she had. Was that a difficult process casting Janet and Jung, or was it uh, was it you knew that Andrea and Simu were be your people right out of the gate? Well, I, I really had very little to do with the casting in terms of the choices and stuff. But I, you know, I, how can I disagree with what they did? I remember having to do the uh, the chemistry reads uh, with Andrea, and she just. I mean, she's an artist, artist. She's like really fantastic. She's very, she, she connects with the material. And I remember during a chemistry read, she was the only one to get, actually get me angry. Like there was something about that dynamic between the two of us where it just felt like she set me off and it was just like, Oh my God, I'm screaming at my daughter. And she's yelling back at me. Uh, and you know, she was auditioning, uh, alongside, like there were really, there are many talented actors who are auditioning for the parts. Um, and so, you know, they, they cream rises to the top in that sense. And it's no slight against the, the people that did audition, but it's like when the chemistry is right, the fit is right, it, it, you know, these roles, it becomes very apparent who should, who should win the part. Um, and, uh, you know, casting the daughter and the son, would, you would think it would be a little bit easier because they don't have to speak with the accents. They are raised in North America and stuff, but they need to have that, that dynamic, that fire, because they are part of the Kim's family yeah and uh, yeah i mean that's and the thing with simu i mean simu i think they shortlisted him really early on in the process and um he was the only one that i get a chemistry read for uh with and so yeah it was just just kind of one of those no-brainers and then to see him go on to become shang chi in the marvel universe and you're playing in the star wars sandbox that's again that's got to be very exciting to see your fellow actors kind of getting into these huge roles and you yourself on the Mandalorian book of Boba Fett and everything else. That's very exciting. Oh yeah. I mean, absolutely. You're always, you're always heartened when you see your friends uh, succeed and, and move on and, and get these dream roles just as much as I, I would hope that people would be happy for me uh, for, for landing some of these roles in, in, in the Star Wars universe. And so, you know, the pride runs deep. Uh, I know Simu's been wanting to be a superhero and like to, to play a superhero for ever since he was a little kid, right? And so I know 
kind of how it feels like to have your dreams, your childhood dreams come true. And uh, so we're super happy and super proud of him. And, uh, you know, he just continues to impress. And you being in the Star Wars world, were you always, because a lot of people I feel like myself, I don't, I don't subscribe to just Star Trek or Star Wars. I kind of like all of it. And I noticed in your background, you've got a Starship Enterprise among all your other Star Wars stuff. Were you always more of a Star Wars person growing up and everything like that? Um, Well, you know, Star Wars was one of the first movies I ever saw as a kid. And it really did affect me. I mean, to this day, I still, I mean, obviously I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Um, But Star Trek was on television. And so I got more exposure to Star Trek just because it was on more, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it was one of those things where Star Wars was in movies, Star Trek was on TV. Ah. And I could live in both worlds, and it was it was a wonderful thing. But then, you know, they started making movies for Star Trek. And it's one of those situations where, you know, uh, the TV show struggled to stay on the air for three seasons, got canceled, and then Star Wars became a massive hit, and then suddenly they ordered a Star Trek movie. So, you know, one thing feeds into the other, and it's really, really great to see good stories inspire other good stories. Um, and uh, it doesn't have to be an either-or. You know, Absolutely. you don't have to be a Beatles fan or an Elvis fan. You can be both. You can be a music fan, right? And and that's the thing. I think with fandom, with, with these different franchises, uh, you should, I mean, it's, it's fun, and it's the old sort of, like, stereotype of, oh, no, you can't like Star Trek if you like Star Wars type thing. But I think people like what they like. Don't yuck their yum. And uh, I would think that if you were a fan of anything, you would want to share that love and that excitement with as many people as possible and create more fans so that there are more of you to enjoy this. Um, That, for me, in a nutshell, is what fandom is about. It's about learning. It's about teaching. It's about, you know, being together, experiencing something as a group and being kind to each other and generous to each other and really enjoying it because there's nothing worse than somebody who is uh you know the the angry and bitter sort of gatekeeping fans yes. who who tie their self-worth into the amount of knowledge i mean fandom isn't a contest it <laughs> really isn't a contest right that's well so I, yeah like you, you you should be enjoying the things you love and sharing them instead of keeping holding them like gold yeah so and one of the things that's so great too is uh, on your website you've got a uh, video reel of yourself at I believe it was Niagara Falls Comic Con. Maybe it was your first con back after the pandemic, and you are right. a big fan. You're going around and you're buying Iron Giant toys, and you're you know you're meeting the fans <laughs> dressed as a Jedi Knight. Do you have? Is there a fandom like for me? I've never been able to really get into Lord of the Rings. Like I've seen one of the six movies. Uh, is there right. a fandom that you've had trouble getting into? Be it Doctor Who, James Bond, anything at all that you're kind of like ah, I like it, but I'm not into it. Yeah, um, I mean. I because I love Doctor Who and I love James Bond, um, so those are two examples that don't really work. But <laughs> I think like a show like um, uh, Babylon Five, I okay. haven't seen a lot of the episodes of, but it, it's just it's not like I don't like Babylon Five. It's just uh, I haven't had a chance to, to watch it. And when it was on, same with Farscape. That's another big sci-fi series that a lot of people are fans of, but I haven't had an opportunity to watch a lot of. Uh, Ditto Stargate, like that entire series. I love the movie, yeah, but I uh, never got a chance to really watch the television series. Like the main, I, I think they had like three different spinoffs of that: Stargate Atlantis, Stargate, and then there was another Stargate. Um, so yeah, those are things. But those are those are all. It, it just becomes a time thing, right? How do you manage your time? 
I mean, I got in trouble uh, with my friends last night. We're celebrating uh, Star Wars Day at uh, this place in Toronto called Offward Bar. And, you know, it's a themed restaurant. Uh, it's a themed cocktail uh, bar. Hmm. And we're all celebrating. And I got in trouble because I hadn't watched Breaking Bad yet. <laughs> and everybody was jumping on top of me. I was like, dude, it's, it's not that I don't want to watch it. It's just like there's like, it, there's like seven seasons and 10 episodes. Like that's 70 episodes. And I literally don't have time to like, binge watch all that there's like there's a list i still haven't watched uh all of us not all of us uh the last of us oh yeah yeah you know and and like season three of picard that's on my list too and everybody's like why haven't you done that it's like because i'm busy (laughs) sorry i want to see it and if i had the time i would but i've been busy so um you know it, it is one of those fun things where people like to playfully tease about it and there's a bunch of stuff that i still love to watch but it becomes time management after a while because, you know, got to pay the bills, got to take care of my family. Sure. And, uh, you know. Yeah. And I know, uh, like I, I was telling a friend of mine the other day, they said it had, I seen something, I think, it, you know, it was the last of us. I saw the first episode and my wife didn't care for what size I'll circle back and watch it, but there's just so much streaming content now and movies coming out that it's impossible to keep up with everything. Right. Yeah. That's, I, and that's it. Like, how do you keep up with this content? And that's the thing. And like, for for example, The Last of Us, the only reason I didn't start watching it is because I wanted to finish the playthrough of the video game first. And then I wanted to watch it. And then as things started to sort of unfold, it just, I kept falling further and further, further behind. And um, yeah, so it wasn't like specifically by design. It's just life happens, right? There, there's, there are those things that sort of get in the way, but I fully intend to, uh, to, to, to partake and, and view these, these series uh, when I have the time. And you mentioned gaming too. Uh, you said you're playing the last was, I believe you're still playing Jedi survivor as well. I don't think you've completed that oh, game from what God. I heard uh, that how, how much time a day do you spend gaming? Do you think roughly, or maybe weekly? Uh, you know what? I, they go in spurts. So I have not played video games in a few months, to be honest, uh, which is part of the reason why I haven't watched the last of us either. But uh, I was playing uh, Jedi, uh, which is uh, Fallen Order. And I was streaming uh, on my Twitch. I also have a Twitch channel. Uh, and I was streaming that live gameplay, and I wanted to finish it. And I got, I was living in Vancouver on my own because I was shooting Advertise the Last Airbender. And so my family was in Toronto. I was in Vancouver. I had a lot of spare time on my hands because, you know, the, the pandemic was going on. We were shooting during covid um, and so I was isolating. And so I had the time to do that. Uh, but now that, you know, the restrictions have been lifted, I'm back at home. Um, I have more than just myself to look after. It, it's been very hard. So I haven't played as much as I want to, but there are games like, you know, Ghostbusters Unleashed. I, I need to play that game. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't been able to do that. You know, Jedi Survivor, the sequel to Fallen Order is out. I still have to finish the first game, The Last of Us Part 1 and 2. And there's just so much stuff out there too when you add that together with the tv that i'm supposed to be watching too it's almost like maybe i should break my leg or you know (laughs) something where i have to stay in one spot and you know so that maybe maybe that needs to happen and then i can catch up on all this stuff but uh yeah no i i don't play as much as i want to It, it, it being in the Star Wars universe, I'm assuming you'll probably be more because uh, people love your character. So I can only assume you're going to get busier 
with uh, the the stuff as it's going forward with Ahsoka series coming up and everything else that's going on in that realm. I know you probably can't talk about it if you are doing more stuff, but I know you were fairly pleased with how the Mandalorian season three ended. I know you talked about that on your channel as well. That you thought it was a good ending. You were happy with your arc particularly and uh, having that little arrangement with Din Djarin at the in the last episode as well. Yeah, no, it certainly bodes well for Carson Teva. Um, and, uh, you know, for me, just to get a role that in, in season two, when I got asked to come on and I did those two episodes, I was in heaven. And uh, I didn't, I certainly would, I was hoping to be asked back. I could be back in some capacity, but I was also steering myself for the, inevit- for the, for the possibility that perhaps that's it, two and done. And, you know, which is for personally would have been, oh, you know, a little disappointing, but at the end of the day, I was saying to myself, hey, I got to be on Star Wars, so, like, that's a win, and I'll always have that, and I'll always be able to carry that with me. And then when they asked me to come back for um, what I thought was season three of The Mandalorian and turned out to be the Book of Boba Fett, I was over the moon. I thought, oh, my God, they, they liked me enough. They brought me back for, to be in another Star Wars series, which is cool. And then the offer for season three Mandalorian came out, and they gave me a lot more to do. And as an actor... That is the, that's a great compliment because it shows that they like your work, they trust in you, and they want to give you more to do. And uh, I was very pleased with the work that I did in season three, um, although I think I could have done better, uh, too. I'm a, my, my own worst critic. Uh, <laughs> but certainly at the end of season three, they do, you know, it's set up. And now it's like, ooh, okay, let's see what happens. And But nobody tells me anything, <laughs> right. which is the hardest part. I know John Favreau, he says he's gone on record saying that he has written season four. I would certainly love to be in season four, but at the end of the day, I don't know if I'm going to be in season four and they haven't even greenlit season four officially. Mm. So with all that's going on with the writer's strike uh, going on right now in the States, uh, I have no idea. It's all above my pay grade and out of my hands, but I do remain very hopeful. And it certainly, uh, it certainly does seem like Carson Tave has been, set up as the Jim Gordon of, uh, of the Star Wars universe. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And I, I love that Stephen Bloom reprised his role as Zeb in that episode with you as well. Uh, was, that, did, was he there? Did they do motion capture on him, or did they just do the ADR voice for him later? Was he actually on set? Yeah, he was not on set with me the day that we shot. Uh, there was another actor there. He was, in a, he was a big guy, like big, big muscular guy. Uh, he was in a mocap suit. And, um, certainly it wasn't Steven. Uh, and then I, I think I heard that his son was saying that he did the facial, uh, he did the face cap, uh, okay. the face cap, like the facial stuff yeah. for the character. And they obviously did the voice, but the day of, uh, they, they played it pretty close to their chest in terms of who this Lassat pilot was in a script that just said Lassat pilot. But I think deep down, I was like, I know who this is. Come on. <laughs> and, you know, Dave Filoni and, uh, you know, uh, 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 Deb Chow and Rick Femmeville, they were all there. And I remember calling out to Dave, but come on. This, you, you're right. This is a sad pilot. Who else is it going to be? And he just kind of smiled and shrugged, right? So it was nice to see that, it, you know, my suspicions were correct, that it was Zeb. And uh, what a thrill, right? Like, I Absolutely. was in the scene where one of the more beloved animated characters makes their live action premiere. I mean, my cup runneth over to be able to experience that. It's, it's, it's so cool. And I was going through my list. You are the uh, now the eighth Star Wars actor I've had on the show. You balance out, because I had 
four animated voice actors and three live action you're now my fourth live action so i've got a perfectly even balance i'm curious because <laughs> i always ask the actors what not only what the audition process was like but how much leeway did the producers and directors give you in creating and finding your own character obviously sometimes back in the day obviously when julian glover was playing you know uh, in, in empire strikes back that was his character was written out. Here's what we've got with a new character like you for a series like this. It seems pretty expansive. Did they give you a pretty wide berth to create your own role? Uh, you know, that's a really great question because going in, you know, when I got asked to, to be in season two, I didn't have to audition for the role, which was uh, really cool. I mean, it's like the, my first gig in the U.S. and it's on Star Wars and I didn't have to audition for it. Uh, which was like, I was over the moon. It's like, Oh my God, what an incredible opportunity. Now the flip side of that was, you know, the, the, I was cast by John Favreau and Dave Filoni, but they weren't directing the episode that I was in. It was Carl Weathers. Oh, who is, uh, you know, he's an icon. He, he was, he yes. you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's Apollo Creed. It's <laughs> villains from Predator. It's Chubbs from the happy Gilmore. It's Ashton Jackson. This man is Hollywood royalty, but he didn't cast me and he didn't know who I was. Uh-huh. And so it was one of those things where he's just like, who's this guy? Like, who is he, is he somebody's friend? Like, how did, how did he get this role? <laughs> right. And so it was one of those things where I, I was, when I walked on, I got briefed by John Favreau about where he saw the character, uh, where he was coming from. And he described Captain Tava as kind of like a, a New York beat cop who's been around the block. He's a veteran and, uh, you know, he, he, he knows how to carry himself and he's, he's street smart. I thought, okay, I'm using that as a template. I built on that, and I kind of saw him as one of those those Texas Rangers uh, back in the old days where he had to cover a, like a, a huge amount of land and, uh, you know, had very, very limited resources. But he's one of those dudes that, you know, uh, I think the old saying was one riot, one ranger. So he could come in and he could clean up if he needed to get nasty. He's a veteran of the, the rebellion against the Galactic Empire. He survived it. And so, you know, I, I, I saw him as a very capable man. And the thing about him was he's very pragmatic. He knows that he can't follow the letter of the law and expect to survive or get respect from people in the outer rim. Things don't work that way. So yeah. he's savvy enough to know that he needs to build these relationships with people. And he does, he's very sly because he doesn't overtly tell people what they need to do. He reminds them of who they are and where they're, what their relationships are. And, you know, it's that subtle sort of push that, you know, he says a lot of things that are unspoken, like with, with Tara Dune. He says, you served during Alderaan. Did you lose anybody? Like, of course he knows she lost everybody, but she's reminding her what's happened. Right. And then when she says that, he says, you know, I'm sorry for your loss. And he places the badge down. And it's like that. This is something you can do about it. You've forgotten. You've forgotten. And now this is a reminder. And the next time you see her, she's a marshal. Yeah. Right. And it's the same thing in season three. With when he when he hunts down, like he's a man of honor, he tries to do things by the book. When that doesn't work, he knows he can bend the rules, and he finds the, the Mandalorian covert, and he calls out Din Djarin. He says, "Hey, look, you know this isn't your fight. I just want you know I just want to tell you your friend was in danger, and I thought you should know." And it's that subtle push where the Mandalorian, you know, Din Djarin says, "You, I got to help this guy." So that's that's the dynamic that I see Carson Tava. But he kind of grew into that stature because the first few episodes, I was scared shitless, to be honest. Um, <laughs> because I wanted to do a good job. I wanted to prove that I belonged there. 
And, uh, so I was, I was a bit nervous. Um, and I think the, it was great because despite all of that, the, the producers and directors are all super gracious and patient and they helped me sort of shape my performance, which is great. And they were really happy with the end result so much so that they asked me back for season three, season three, I was way more relaxed, like more confident. I knew the character um, based on what we had established in season two. And we went on from there and we kind of grew that from there. And it's, it's been a really fun process uh, of, of sort of discovering Carson Tava and, and seeing what he's capable of. Um, and I'm excited to see hopefully what season four holds for him if he's around. Uh, and again, um, I, I'm waiting with bated breath because it's one of those things where I would, if they ask me to come back, I'll, in a heartbeat, you know, in a heartbeat, because yeah. this is, it's a dream gig for me. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I can't imagine not being excited, getting to play in that universe uh, with all the, the star Wars lore and the fact that it's growing so much, thanks to uh, Disney taking over and bringing it in these new directions. And to your point about Carson Tevin is his, uh, like that scene with Tim Meadows. I, I mean, this as a compliment, I got kind of like Sergeant Al Powell vibes from Die Hard. Like that's the character he is. <laughs> He's the beat cop yeah. who's like not supposed to be doing stuff, but he's going to do it because he knows what the score really is and what's going on. So it was, it's a great, that, that whole scene was great with Tim Meadows. Yeah. Oh my God. And he's what a fantastic actor he is. I mean, he just, he plays that sort of uh, guy that's just so in over his head. Like sometimes he's just so, uh, what, what's, he's just frustrated with what's going on. He's like, well, you know, that's too bad, but that's his coping mechanism. Right, because he's getting buried under bureaucratic rules and stuff. Uh, and of course, Katie O'Brien, who, who played in the scene, uh, Agent Delia Kane, uh, was tremendous as as that kind of like uh, that that Weasley antagonist. Who goes, oh, this isn't fine. With this, that's too bad. You remember all these rules and regulations and subverting the direction of that scene because yeah. I think if you hadn't intervened. Tuttle would have gone. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, yeah, you have permission and uh, get whatever resources you want. Just just don't bother me about it. But then when she kind of drops the bureaucrat keys on him, she changes it and sort of handcuffs that situation. And so that was a fun dynamic to play. Um, and with two fantastic actors, and that scene took us two days to film. Uh, really? In the vault. Yeah. It was like, that was intense. It was like shooting a movie, but it was so much fun because you're working with fantastic actors. And of course, Peter Ramsey directing that scene. That's another he was, uh, Peter was, he's directed, he was one of the co-directors on Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, okay. Uh, that Miles Morales movie, right? And so, like, him coming in and just having the trust in, in me and in the other actors and just really, it felt really collaborative, you know? And that's when your confidence grows as a performer, when your director's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you're discussing different points and different tactics and different plays. So we did so many different variations of that scene, it was just very liberating. And you mentioned the the other performer there, that the the insidiousness. I mean, you you hate the character so much. That's how you know it's a good actor because it, it was just it's like you wanted to reach through the screen and be like, "Why are you doing this?" So I mean, just yeah. to be surrounded with the level of, of the caliber of actor you've got on that obviously brings out a better performance for you as well. I would imagine. Oh yeah, absolutely right. Like the, she makes you raise your game. Yeah, everybody does, and, and that's the thing. You don't want to be left behind, and it's it's a fun game to play, right? Because we just, you just, these characters, the, the, the subtext and the subtlety and the different tactics they're taking. I, I really love that. So, 
I want to talk to you about your first gig because I love hearing about actors and their thoughts back on their career and their first gig. If, if Unless IMDb got it wrong, 1989, it was a TV show called Gideon Oliver with the great Louis Gossett Jr. And when I look at the, the people who came out of that, Michael Rooker was in it, Cynthia Nixon was in it, Eric LaSalle, uh, we just recently lost Tom Sizemore was in that. Uh, what was what were your thoughts? That was your first gig. Uh, now, looking yeah. back on your career, looking back at that, what do you think in retrospect of your first gig? I'm sorry, that that's completely wrong on IMDb. Oh, okay, it is. All right. <laughs> yeah, I I had I've been trying for decades to get that removed from my IMDb page because I was in high school still. Uh, it, you know, during that credit, I, my first acting credit was. Uh, actually, uh, in 1995, there's a movie called Where's the Money, Noreen, was my actual. So this was, yeah, I've been, it was another Paul Lee. I can't steal his thunder. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a funny story because I have literally been trying for decades to get that removed, and they won't. Really? Um, for whatever reason. Yeah, yeah, it's so funny. Uh, back in 89, I didn't even know I could be an actor. You know, I was, I was just uh, graduating high school, and I was living in Calgary, Alberta. Uh, and it was one of those things where I was trying to decide what to do with the rest of my life type thing. And, um, I decided I want, I ended up going to the University of Toronto and applying for the University College Drama Program at the University of Toronto because it sounded like fun. Yeah. And so, yeah, this is, <laughs> that's the, the funny thing. But my first gig was, yeah, where's the money, Noreen? What had happened was I was fresh out of theater school and, um, it was one of those, situations where I got a really great academic uh, education about theater. Mm. I had a nice broad foundation of practical uh, skills for theater craft in terms of, you know, voice work and body movement and scene breakdown and whatnot. And I could tell you all about European theater history, but I couldn't tell you how to get a job. <laughs> and so it was one of those things, you know, university is great for the book smarts, but not so much for the street smarts. And, uh, in fact, it was just, I had no idea how to get a job. I didn't know how to get an agent. I didn't know how to get into union, none of that stuff. And, um, I'd actually given up acting for a little bit because I just, I didn't know how to do it. And so I fell into, and I did some theater, I, I did some technical theater work. U of T, they had a, a theater, technical theater program as well. And I dabbled in that and I did quite well in it. And, you know, I enjoyed it enough and I had a connection uh, the technical director at U of T, uh, he was also the company manager for a show that was going on uh, in Toronto, a professional show, and he asked if I wanted to be an apprentice stage manager on that. And so I jumped at it and said, yes, absolutely, and I hated it. I hated the entire experience. Huh. I, I learned a lot, but I, what I also learned was I didn't want to do that. And so I was at a bit of an impasse, a bit of a loss as to what to do when out of the blue um, – my first year university acting professor gave me a call and said, Hey, I'm doing a show and I need an Asian actor to play this role. Can you play this? And I thought, yes, I will do that. Doesn't what wasn't paying anything pretty much. I'd lost money doing the show, but I was acting mm -hmm. and I did that show. And then a couple of people saw me in that show and they were trying desperately cast the, the, this, this role in another play. And so they, they said, you know, they had me come out. I auditioned for that booked the role. Uh, it was a very, very successful run. I got great rave reviews. And that's how I got my first agent because one of my castmates had an agent and she came and saw the show. 
she loved my performance, asked if I wanted to, if I had any representation and she, she ended up representing me. And then that's what got the ball rolling. I was able to join the unions and the first, that first gig, where's the money? No rain was the first gig I, I auditioned for and I booked it. So yeah, and it was great because A. Martinez was in it. Julianne Phillips, who's Bruce Springsteen's, I think wife or ex-wife, like just fresh ex-wife at the time, Artie Mandelberg directed that. And he directed episodes of Beverly Hills 90210. Yeah. Uh, anyways, it was for me, a theater, small time theater actor, suddenly, you know, you know, having given it up, getting a gig and then sort of like growing that and doing that first role was a great learning experience because I'd never, ever worked on a film or TV set before in my life. And it's different from working on the stage. Um, but I mean, the, the actual craft itself is similar. Mm-hmm. The technical requirements for it obviously are very different. So. Yeah, I mean, every person I've ever talked to who started out in theater said that that's, you know, that's a great, great base for going into film and TV. Really, the theater, the movement, that immediacy with the audience and everything like that, it's kind of almost necessary in some cases before you go on. And they say all the best actors started out as stage actors. So you're in good company, I'd say. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And uh, I know we don't want to keep it too much longer here. Are there upcoming conventions that you might be coming at where people want to see you uh, if they want to catch up with you or meet you in person? Are you doing any of those? Yes, actually. I just booked uh, my first con in the United States. It is a Washington Summer Con, um, which is taking place in June. Uh, June 20... Hold on, let me just look at the calendar here. The weekend of June 23rd to the 25th. It's the Washington Summer Con, so I'll be there. And um, we're in negotiations right now. We're just finishing off the deal. But I'll be in Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky, for a con from, the, I believe, the 16th to the 18th. But we're finalizing the, the details on that. Um, and, uh, yeah, so those, <laughs> those are two cons. And then hopefully there will be more announcements a little bit later on. But those will be my first two conventions in the U.S. Very cool. And I think you are uh, being either honored or you're presenting at the GG Performing Arts Award on May 25th as, or May 27th as well. Am I correct? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm actually receiving the Governor General's Award. Fantastic. Uh, Artist Award, which is, um, yeah, that's mind-blowing. That is a national award. It's the highest award given by the, the government of Canada to an artist. And, um, yeah, like, it's just, I, I don't know. It's mind-blowing. I, I keep I keep thinking that you know maybe it's it's, it's but must have been a really slow year <laughs> in, in Canada for them to to sort of honor me with that. But it's it's a tremendous thing. I I still can't believe it. Um, you know, as a kid growing up, uh, who didn't even know he could be an actor or do this for a living. And uh, I mean, let's be frank. When I was in university, learning the craft of of acting, um, not a lot of people gave me uh, a lot of uh, you know credit. You know, if you were to pick out of my class, who's going to be still acting 30 years from now? Uh, it wouldn't have been me. I think. <laughs> but uh, like I said, I was always just too stupid and too stubborn to quit. And so here I am. And uh, I'm immensely humbled and gratified um, by the successes and just very, very uh, thankful is the word. Just thankful for it. And tenacity is a highly underrated quality, so I'm glad you had that because we would have missed all these great performances that we've now been treated to in your career. Uh, We're going to put links to your website and your YouTube in the bottom, so if you're listening to this after the fact, scroll down to the bottom of the page, you'll see links to Bitter Asian Dude in the 
show notes where you can catch them on YouTube. You've got a new subscriber in me too. I might add it's uh it was just like I said, I got lost in your channel for so long watching <laughs> your unboxings and everything like that. Uh, Paul Sun Young Lee, I appreciate your time today so much. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute pleasure to speak with you today. And that was Paul Sun Young Lee. As we wait to get David Desmulch on the air, I want to make sure we tell you about Steve's Hot Dog, Steve's Meltdown. Uh, if you are looking to get some food, maybe you got it. The city won today, didn't they? Didn't our, our team win? Yesterday. Yesterday. The day, it's, it's a holiday weekend. Wibbly wobbly. Three to one. Uh, but hopefully if you're down there, you're getting some Steve's Hot Dogs while you're at the game. Uh, it's, uh, if you're not down there, if you're just out and about, uh, it's a great time to get some good food. Hit up their location there on Grand, and uh, you can also grab some food there. Get a basket of fries, hang out, play their Miss Pac-Man machine. Absolutely incredible menu. And I know we had Dietrich Bader on the show uh, last week, and he kind of kind of roped him into the our talk about Steve's hot dogs. But man, he and Paul Eiding the week before both said, "Man, that sounds like some good food." And it really is. If you've not had a chance to have Steve's hot dogs before, make sure you get down and get them this summer. Nothing says summer like hot dogs. Nothing says hot dogs. Like St. Louis, and the official hot dog of St. Louis is Steve's Hot Dogs. Make sure you use that coupon code geek to me at checkout. That's G-E-E-K-T-O-M-E. And you save $5 off your order of $25 or more when you order online. Steve's Hot Dogs, STL is the website. Make sure you check out their Steve's Meltdown, too, if you want some elevated grilled cheese. Some really good food there as well. So no matter what kind of mood you're in, grilled cheese, hot dogs, you can't go wrong. Check them out. Steve's Hot Dogs, STL.com, geek to me at checkout for $5 off your order of $25 or more. We're going to take a quick commercial break as I grab the wrong mouse because the studio has five mice in here. Mouses? Meese? Whatever it is. Uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We're going to come back and hopefully we'll have David Desmelchin on the show. You're listening to geek to me Radio. Please stand by. Hey guys, this is Michael Rooker, and uh, you're listening to geek to me Radio. Have a good time. We are back. We jumped right into that last interview so fast, I obviously forgot to tell you all the stuff I normally do in my opening. geek to me Radio, I'm your host, James Enstall. We're heard every Sunday night on the Big 550 KTRS, 10 o'clock Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. For those of you who listen online, of course, we hope you do. If you are listening online, open up Facebook, go to Bugs, Comics, and Games on Facebook, give the page a like, and if you're in the greater St. Louis, St. Charles area, you really should be checking out Bugs, Comics, and Games right there on Bryan Road in O'Fallon, Missouri, uh, easily accessible from either Highway 70 or from the page extension, was just out there Wednesday for New Comic Book Day. It's it's like having Christmas every single week. You go out there, and if you have a pull list, it's great, because that saves you a lot of hassle. Larry will pull all your books ahead of time, have them ready and waiting for you. Uh, but I still I still go and browse the stuff anyway, because I'm like, oh, I want to get this one, too. Just picked up the new Justice Society run that's out. Uh, there's four issues of that out. I grabbed the first four issues of that so I can start reading that. And if you're going to do the comic book thing, save some money while you do it. Join the Avengers Club. That way you save money off your purchases every single week. When you go to the comic book store, it takes a little bit of that hurt and sting out of your wallet if you're joining the Avengers Club and saving some money. You can save money on your new comics, your back issues, your games, your toys, your action figures, your Pokemon cards, whatever it is you buy at Bugs Comics. And you'll start saving money immediately by joining their Avengers Club. There's always a new selection of back issues. That's one of the things I'll, I'll get sucked in. I'm like, oh, that looks like a new box. And I'll start flipping through there pretty soon. Four hours has gone by and I'm still at Bugs Comics and Games. 
uh, which is great because you get to talk to Larry and Larry's very knowledgeable. If you have any questions about comic books, he's the go-to guy. He knows all about anything you could possibly think, stretching all the way back to the late golden silver age. He was uh, obviously he's a Marvel guy. It's the thing in Spider-Man, but he's knowledgeable about all the new stuff as well. So no matter where you are in your comic book collecting journey, Larry is like your own personal comic concierge. Again, on Facebook, Bugs Comics and Games, give that page a like. And if you haven't already, make sure you get out to their store, brick and mortar store, and check them out and uh, start collecting comics again. Bugs Comics and Games, very glad to have them as the official comic book sponsor here on geek to me Radio. We're having some trouble getting David S. Melch, and it's not technical if issues like we had uh, with uh, Paul Eiding. He hasn't checked in with us yet, so I did an email, and we're, uh, we're watching the email, we're watching the phones to see if he will uh, be able to call in here, and hopefully we will have him. We're looking forward to talking about Count Crowley. We're looking forward to talking about The Boogeyman, which comes out. Uh, Joey V was just telling me that the uh, the the trailer on YouTube has how many views? 5.6 millions. All really? millions, yeah. And you said this was a Stephen King short, or is it a novel? What is it based on? I think it's a novel. It's, a, it's a based on the Stephen King story. Okay. Uh, I don't recall a novel, though, so maybe it is a short. Um, I'm not, I'm not like, Let's listen Stephen to King expert. Uh, but no, this is, I know there was the Boogeyman that came out in 2005 with the oldest, I'm horrible with names, the oldest son from uh, Seventh Heaven was in it. And it was a good movie. And then you get to the end and you see the creature and it's like, oh. And that's, I think, where some horror movies go wrong because horror movies can be very hit or miss. But, uh, but yeah, I, I... Yeah, Stephen King's short story. Short story. So, I'm, I mean, Stephen King's behind it and I loved, I, that's probably one of my favorite horror movies that came out is in the past i'd say 20 years was dr sleep i think when you wait that long to get a sequel the sequel has to be good and it really was with that one uh so a lot of stephen king movies his stories i know some people are like eh, i didn't care for this story but i really like that story's hit or miss but for my money i think uh, dr sleep was incredible and i'm looking forward to the boogeyman yeah i wonder if there's some behind the scenes drama that we could get from david desmalchin talking mm-hmm. about how it was a fox production before Disney took them over. Mm. So some of those movies that you see fall between the cracks don't even get to come out because Disney doesn't want to deal in maybe R-rated type stuff. I know this is one that made it to the finish line, so that's very cool. I noticed it did have a PG-13 rating, which always kind of gives me pause. I'm like, oh, it's a horror movie, though. I kind of want, if I go in there to be scared, I want it R-rated. I want the full, you know, like Stephen King's It was an R-rated, you know. Yeah, I think so. they're getting away with a lot of creepy factor, though. Like mm-hmm. you don't you don't see blood exactly, right? But it's just so disturbing uh, feeling that you can get away with a PG thirteen. Like we saw Guardians of the Galaxy three, and that one was very violent and just goop everywhere. But because everyone's an alien and you know the goop <laughs> is green or whatever, you get away with some of that stuff. We've got uh, Chance Bartels from the nostalgic nostalgic. I can never say it right. I always get tongue tied. The nostalgic blast. Pod Blast. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, Chance. Uh, the Nostalgic Pod Blast, but it's a great show. If you like retro stuff, make sure you give Chance a check out there at the Nostalgic Pod Blast. Got it right that time. Um, but yeah, he says the Marvel Secret Invasion looks good. The scrolls are cool. And he also said Cujo. That's Chance's favorite Stephen King. Do you have a favorite Stephen King story or uh, movie so far? Joey B? You know, growing up when the internet was just popping off and I love chat rooms, IMDB always had the top 250 mm-hmm. and Shawshank Redemption and Godfather were always battling it out. And so I always had uh, Shawshank Redemption. It's just one of the best Stephen King movies ever. You know, I really do enjoy that. It's it's on all the time. It's nothing that's too violent or anything that you, you can't watch with the whole family, but it is about prison life. 
So I don't know if you're a fan of Shawshank Redemption, but whenever I'm just sifting through uh, poop in a, in a sewer, I just think about how much I like that movie. Uh, do, did you find yourself doing that very often? Oh, regularly. Okay. Yeah, there's well, so much treasure down there. As a Ninja Turtle fan, you know I am. Why wouldn't true. they be in the sewers very looking true. for their lair? Very true. Uh, again, we're still waiting to get David Desmelch. I just emailed his uh, his people again to see if we can get him on. I'm not sure if he's having trouble connecting or what. I'm also okay to keeping an eye on the phone lines uh, while we get him on. I was looking forward to talking to him about the Boogeyman. Also, I think the last time I looked it up, Joey, the last time we had him on was 2020. That was before, because I, I remember him saying when he was talking to me, because we were talking about Count Crowley, Reluctant Midnight Monster Hunter from Dark Horse Comics. And I, I remember he, he called me. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm on the set of a movie, but I'm on a break right now. So I'm sitting in my makeup chair uh, just taking this time to talk to you. I said, oh, that's very kind. I think from looking at the timeline, he was probably on the set of the Suicide Squad in Polka Dot Man makeup from that movie, I'm guessing. Or, yeah, he was in Jay and Silent Bob Reboot as well around right. that time. Yeah. So I want, that guy's a mis- mysterious guy. He can just go between different roles. And I think I remember crying during the Suicide Squad in his final scene. It was, that was emotional for such a silly character that no one thought could be adapted. Right. I, I, he made the movie, really. Making his first appearance in Detective Comics number 300. Um, I love that mind of yours that you can just pull stuff like that with uh, numbers and what was on the cover and stuff. You do that with these comic creators all the time. And those are my favorite segments when you can geek out with them. It's it's only that's like the only time it's any good, which is why I'm doing this. That's and you're not a real job. Um, as useless as throwing polka dots, you having a <laughs> photographic memory. I am the polka clothes. dot man of radio is what you've just heard here, folks. Exactly. Um, I know you've you're you're not a huge horror movie fan. I mean, because I know. We've talked about horror movies before, but it seems like you're never, oh, horror, let's go watch some of that. I, I, you you like movies, but you don't ever really seem to strike me as a big horror movie fan. Well, the the ones that make it to the cream of the crop, you know, that rise to the top, those are the ones that I would love to see. I love any movie of any genre if if it's made well. But I wouldn't say I'm a Shudder, uh, I don't have a Shudder subscription, and I don't just watch the, the crazy low-budget horror films that come out every week on that. But... I am I'm actually a little too scared to see the new Evil Dead movie. I hear it's so over the top disturbing that it may make my stomach turn. And I'm always a little scared or uh, I have an aversion to real life violence. You know, if it's a, a woman being attacked and that's just real life, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of that stuff. Hmm. But if it's supernatural, you know, you can get away from the, the real life stuff. I do enjoy that. And I'm a huge fan of Evil Dead too. It, hmm. it, comedy horror that's that's great army of darkness Mm -hmm. yeah see i'm i'm more of a i prefer the real life like the the supernatural stuff Mm -hmm. there's not a lot you can do but obviously if you know michael myers is coming towards you you can pull out a gun and shoot him you can hide from him you can hit him with a bat you can drive your car into him not that this will kill him obviously as we've seen but the fact that you can fight it supernatural stuff i feel like yeah i'm 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 done there's not a whole lot that's why supernatural horror has usually freaked me out more than the regular slasher type horror genre. Yeah, I think some of the ones that involve violence against women that are just really famous was it Last House on the Left? Mm. Those sort of ones they they turn my stomach a little bit. Yeah, no, I can see that. The Hills Have Eyes is another one. The the Hill, original Hills Have Eyes is that great was... because that's kind of that's mutants, right? Yeah, there's nuclear fallout or something like that. I even love the remake of The Hills Have Eyes. I mean, that that main guy who you see on the cover of the, yeah. the poster was just at Pensacon. Uh, super nice guy who's sitting there Such taking an iconic face, a yeah. long time to sit there and talk with everybody as they came up. Um, 
Chance, once again, in the chat says, uh, Devil Horror like The Omen is too freaky. I agree. I know The Exorcist kind of freaked me out. And another one I would say, probably one of my favorite horror movies of the past decade, I guess it's, I don't know how long ago it came out, maybe 20 years, is The Conjuring, which mm-hmm. I thought that was terrifying. I really, uh, super, supernatural stuff, like I said, kind of freaked me out. The Exorcist was uh, pretty, pretty high up there too on my list. Yeah, people try and claim St. Louis for that. For some reason, people are proud that the real <laughs> exorcist story took place in our city and there was a, a hospital that I think is not there anymore that people yes. go and, you know, take a pilgrimage to. I don't know if we should be claiming that. Someone said it was St. Louis University. I'm like, that can't be right. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's right. But it was... I've never taken the time because I don't want to drive down that street. I don't want to find out what street it is where that took place and get the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, and again, there's all the urban legends like, oh, they sealed the floor where that actually happened on, like, I don't know if that's practical. I just condemned the building by this time because that, the original story took place in the 1930s, didn't it? Oh, man. The original exercise? Up. The original exercise. Exorcist? Jane Fonda's The Exorcist. Yes. That's right. Yeah, Olivia Newton-John stars in The Exorcist. Let's get physical. The Exercise. Um, yeah, so as we wait for David Desmelch, I'm, I'm hopeful he'll still connect. Uh, for those of you who were tuning in, I know we had a lot of uh, love for David on Instagram and Facebook. And I know some people specifically tuned in just for uh, David tonight. Obviously, they wanted to hear my interview with Paul Sun Young Lee, but it's always more exciting when the guests are live. But unfortunately, uh, I didn't get a number to call David. I was trusting him to call in. So I did reach out to his publicist. I emailed them and I haven't heard anything back on email. And I am watching the phone lines as well. And obviously, we'll see him pop up in the restream here in the meantime. Uh, tell you what, why don't we just take another commercial break? Uh, we'll uh, reset here and give him a couple of more minutes to call in. While we do that, we will uh, go ahead and reassemble. Hopefully, we'll get David on. We appreciate all of you sticking with us and listening. Hopefully, we will get him on here. And when we come back from commercial break, we'll have it. You're listening to Geek to Me Radio on the Big Five Fifty KTRS. Please stand by. Hey man, it's me, Kevin Smith, Silent Bob. You're listening to Geek to Me Radio, man. This is the only radio show that the guy does Pat Man Beyond listens to for his geek news. We are back, Geek to Me Radio, every Sunday night on the Big Five Fifty KTRS. We have David Desmolchin on the phone, ladies and gentlemen. He's here. David, how are you? Oh man, I'm great. It's uh, it's my daughter's uh, sixth birthday week, and we got in uh, a little. I got a little behind in the old Chuck E. Cheese of it all, but I'm so excited to be here. I love Geek to Me, so thanks for having me on, man. Super excited. So much stuff to talk about. Oh, I know. I've got a whole litany of stuff I wanted to go over with you. Um, <laughs> I, I looked up the last time we had you on was 2020. It doesn't seem like it's been that long, but you were we we're talking about uh, the original Count Crowley Volume 1. Uh, we were yeah. talking about your work on uh, All Creatures Here Below that you, you wrote and, and, and starred in. And you said at the time, you were very cagey, but you said, yeah, I'm on the set of a movie right now as I'm talking to you. I'm assuming, based on the timeline, it was probably The Suicide Squad? Yes, it must have been. It must, wasn't it? No, because let's see, Suicide Squad, we finished in January of 2020. So w- when did we talk? Probably, like, around that time. Yeah, yeah, maybe that was it. It was that, or I was doing the uh, reshoots for uh, Dune, because I did have to go back. Uh, to Budapest to do uh, a quick round of uh, of reshoots. That the scene that we that that that's in the final cut of the film, where the Reverend Mother comes to um, to uh, Baron Harkonnen's like chamber, and we have that conversation about the strategy of how we're going to get these 
additional Sardaukar like uh, resources was or how the emperor is going to help us. That that scene was added uh, in the reshoots. And uh, yeah, so I think it, it must have been then. I think I was okay. talking to you from a remote, crazy location, which is not uncommon, although today is the craziest, most remote location. Chuck E. Cheese. Although now I'm back home from the Chuck E. Cheese. Well, I was going to say, if, you, if you're where you're broadcasting live from the ball pit, that'd be impressive right now because it, it sounds great. The acoustics. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, we've just survived a pandemic. If we've not learned anything, it, we cannot be diving headfirst into ball pits at Chuck E. Cheese's anymore. This is very true. Um, I know uh, while I've got you too, I've, I've got my, my last uh, live spot. I'm going to kind of rope you into this here. Because my last live spot is for the Greater St. Charles Convention and Visitors Bureau, our premier sponsor. And when you and I first met, was at Planet Comic Con, you talked about how much you loved Noah's Ark because it was right there. Because you're in Missouri, you're uh, you know familiar with the Missouri area. Of course, that was a childhood like destination. We would road trip from Kansas City and going to Noah's Ark, going to ride the Ark, going to the St. Louis Zoo, going to obviously the Ozarks and Silver Dollar City. Uh, going to the Great Caverns, going, you know, to, to go wakeboarding and skiing at you know, Table Rock Lake and go cliff diving, which I know is probably not something we're supposed to encourage with the kids because it's got risks involved. But like that was such an important part of my my childhood, like the cl- cliff jumping, cliff diving was like it was such an incredible way to spend a day because like, you know, 90 percent of that experience is just hiking all the way back up to the edge of that cliff. And then it's three seconds of running and jumping off of the cliff. And then you're all the way back to the hike. But it was the best. I love that so much. And if you have not visited lately, the city of St. Charles has something for everybody. If you're looking for a unique shopping or dining experience, you can start your trip like David might even wants to check it out. Plan on the website, discoverstcharles.com. That's discoverstcharles.com. You can check out all the cool things there are. The entire area right there along North and South Maine is made up of these small businesses. And in this economy, it's never more important to support small businesses. We have to support now. the small businesses, the brick-and-mortar shops, the restaurants, and the, 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 the hardware stores. And especially if you're someone like us, comic shops, for goodness sake, uh, gaming stores. I don't know uh, the you know if there is a if there is a, a comic shop of note in in St. Charles but uh I'd love to come and uh and do an appearance at uh at something in the area in the near future that would be really cool. We definitely you know what I'm I'm going to have to talk to you about that off air actually sidebar uh but as soon as we okay. wrap okay. the show here I'll definitely discuss that with you because I want to get some information but uh, I want to make sure all the stuff I wanted to cover with you I was going to ask my very first question with all these comic book we're seeing uh the Umbrella Academy and all these things getting picked up for Netflix deals, when are we going to get a live-action Count Crowley? Your lips, God's ears, I'd be working on it diligently. I tell you what, it's just you want to do this perfectly. You want to get the perfect team involved. I've got some really amazing minds helping me to put the the big picture of this together, and uh, it's something that I dream about and think about. Right now, as we speak, though, I am writing, uh, and I've just finished the fourth issue of the third new volume of Count Crowley. I can't wait. We're going to announce the title um, probably in July, and then hopefully that will be hitting um, shelves in the late fall. I've also just partnered with one of my biggest comic book uh, creator heroes. Uh, I'll be introducing an entirely new title in, in, in a very short amount of time as soon as we've got all that uh, lined up and ready to tell the world about. I can't wait. Um, it's, it's, it's such a gift and a, and a privilege and a joy to me, obviously getting to act in so many things that are inspired by you know, comic book and science fiction things that we've all loved. But like the fact that I'm getting to write comics, um, I may even between you and me and 
obviously everybody listening, be getting a chance to do a run at uh, an established uh, team of heroes who we all, I'm sure, if you don't know them, uh, you will soon. But I'm I'm sure most of the people listening would know them and love them. And uh, so, yeah, it's an exciting time. Thank God Crowley, it's gone well. And people in publishing at different, you know, publishing companies have recognized and, and, and seem to appreciate the work, which gives me an opportunity then to, you know, present other ideas for other stories that I want to tell. Some in the superhero space, some in the fantasy realm, um, but all of them in the comic book space. And we've just got a few minutes left before the end of the hour. Unfortunately, I want to make sure we talk about because we, uh, my executive producer, Joey V, and I were chatting about The Boogeyman, which hits theaters this coming weekend. Make sure you get out and see it June 2nd. Uh, Joey V was telling me that it's 5.6 million views for the YouTube promo already. Uh, what can you tell us in the next two minutes about The Boogeyman? I haven't seen a movie this scary in a long time, you guys. I watch scary movies all the time. I'm the guy that has my shutter subscription constantly open on my tv at home i love horror i love stephen king i'm so proud to be a part of this movie i honestly uh would implore you though to go see it with friends or family you do not want to see this film alone mm. this is not a film you want to see sitting by yourself in the dark uh <laughs> it preys upon all of our shared fears of what the boogeyman could be and probably is in reality it's absolutely horrifying and i think stephen king obviously is the master, but seeing a young, new visionary like Rob Savage take that source material into a new place. It's like, I, I mean, we had the premiere the other night sitting there with my friends and family and the screams and the the the, 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 the tears uh, that were happening in the theaters. Pretty awesome. I love it. And yeah, Rob Savage, no stranger to horror. Uh, the host and dash cam were, but I love dash cam. I didn't make it all the way through a host. Something came up, but dash cam was great. So he's no stranger to horror. So I'm sure it was uh Steven, oh, he's great. He's so fantastic. Yeah, it's in great hands. The movie is terrifying. It's so good. Sophie Thatcher is incredible. If you've seen her in Yellow Jackets, you know what a great actor she is. Chris Messina. Um, oh, my God. Uh, the whole cast, Vivian, the little girl. Mm -hmm. I, I actually worked with her on Bird Box. She was one of the kids in the movie Bird Box, oh, okay. the, the Sandra Bullock film from a couple of years ago based on Josh Mallerman's incredible horror book. And um, I'm telling you, this is one of those you do not want to sleep on. Uh, get to the, the opens next week. And then just soon after that, go back to the theaters, hopefully, and see um, Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer, where I will be getting to make an appearance. I can't wait for you guys to see that as well. And there's a lot to keep up with. Uh, you're active on social media. We're going to put those links in the show notes if you're listening to this after the fact in the podcast form. Uh, just go down there and click the link. We'll have the link so you can keep up with David. Uh, don't go. Don't hang up just yet, David, because I'm going to talk to you about something off the air. So I, will, I won't. I won't. I'm here. Bye -bye. Thank you, listeners. Tonight course. There he goes, David Desmelcher. My thanks also to actor Paul Sunyoung Lee for talking about The Mandalorian and, of course, Kim's Convenience. A uh, lot to talk about next month. We're already in June. Until next week, my friends.
kids, are your parents about to buy you a shiny new toy from Amazon? Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? Well, don't be selfish. Share some of that money with us. Before going on Amazon, make sure to type in bit.ly slash geek to me in the web browser. It will look just like Amazon.com, except it'll say referral geek to me radio up top. And then when you check out, a tiny percentage will go to support the show without costing you one cent more. So before your parents get you that gizmo, gadget, or widget, make sure they type in bit.ly slash geek to me in the web browser. Bit.ly slash geek to me. Bit.ly slash geek to me.